In this episode of the Landscape Photography Show, we're sitting down with the Sierra Kid himself, Josh Cripps. Josh is joining us from Alabama Hills, and in our discussion, we talk a lot about how he's progressed as a photographer, who he's become, and how he views photography now through the process of not only taking photos, but starting up his new business in Lone Pine, California. And it's just a really good conversation. I know a lot of photographers think about, you know, taking photos. Uh, Josh has taken his fair share of photos out in the Sierras and he shares some of those stories as well. But I think one of the turns in this conversation that really struck me is our discussion on Josh opening his own gallery in Lone Pine how it has benefited that economy and how he looks to improve and help that economy too. And I just think it was really interesting to, to hear him talk about that process because it's one of those things, I know every photographer has had it in their back of the mind being like, you know, what if I like open my own gallery? Is that possible? Well, Josh did and he's doing a great job with it. He talks about what he's learned through the process and so much more. Hey, what's up, guys? We're here with Josh Cripps today, joining us from Alabama Hills in California. Josh, uh, I want to welcome you back onto the show, and thanks for joining us again. If you haven't heard the episode already with Josh, uh, we recorded that in late 2019, so that's pretty early on in the library catalog of the podcast, but you should definitely go and check that out. But Josh, just want to thank you for coming on the show and, and welcome in. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm a totally different person now. So you're going to listen to that and listen to today and be like, who is this guy? No. You know, you you look the same, though. Oh, yeah. You have no. you haven't aged a bit. Well, you know, I have a few more gray hairs in the beard and I have a few more tattoos on the arms. But other than that, I tell you what the secret is. Drink, drink enough water, get enough sleep and stay out of the sun, man. And um, it does wonders. What are, what are your new tattoos? Let's see. Late 2019. Um, I don't even you, know. You just got in the sleeve, I think. Okay. So I had this. Well, I've got the other one going now, too. The uh, left okay. arm is about halfway uh, done. So next time I head on, my, my tattoo artist, he was in L.A. He moved to Paris during the pandemic. Uh, so that makes it a little more challenging to get over there to get some more work done. But it does make it extra special. Paris, France or Paris, Tennessee? There's a Paris, Tennessee. There's also there Paris, is. There's Texas. an Eiffel Tower too. <laughs> That's cool. Is it the same size? Uh, slightly smaller. Yeah. Okay. We'll have to look it up. Yeah. Um, there's also Paris, California, but okay. um, no Paris, Paris, France. In fact, yeah, he's a French guy, and he was just practicing in L.A. But then he moved back home. Uh, so yeah, now it's, it's actually really perfect. So every time I go over and teach at the Photo Pills camp. I turn around and I spend my instructor fee on uh, tattoos. Um, so it's okay. a trade off. It's yeah, all just so a trade off, right? Thanks to Rafa and Herman from Photo Pills for feeling my tattoo addiction. <laughs> now, what what is this sleeve, though, on your other arm? Yeah, so they're basically the same thing. It's a love letter to the Sierra Nevada. And so it's all my favorite animals and plants from the mountains here. And so I've got on the right hand side, I've got. Puma, chipmunk, Stellar's jay, some of my favorite wildflowers, uh, fox, some beautiful uh, mountains from the area, uh, black bear and uh, tiger lilies, columbines. And then on the left side right now, I've just got a pine marten and a yellow uh, tiger swallowtail and a uh, yellow-bellied marmot. Uh, so okay. that's, that's where we're at now. 
And who I, knows what's going to come next? I just give a whole list to the guy. Um, and I say, whatever you think is going to make the best design. And he just draws it up and he goes, this animal will work great with this one because of the colors and the patterns or whatever. And we can weave these flowers in the background. And I go, okay, cool. Do your thing, man. How much can you get done in each session? Like I have tattoos, but my longest session has been four hours. Yeah. That's about as much as a sane person can tolerate. Um, yeah. The last yeah. session I did because he was in Paris and we had, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be back there anytime soon. We did three days in a row, uh, which I highly, highly do not recommend. And we did five hours the first day, four hours the second day, and three hours the third day. And that sucked a lot. Um, and I would also recommend don't, don't do both sides of your body in the same session or in a adjoining days like that in subsequent days because basically by the time he finished up my right shoulder and scapula and uh, chest and then the next day started on my left arm and then when i got home that night i i couldn't even lift either arm right like i couldn't i couldn't wash myself i couldn't get dressed I, and then sleeping you got no comfortable spot to, so don't do that kids learn from my mistakes just get one arm at a time, like a sane person. <laughs> now, not only your tattoos have changed, I'm sure your approach to photography and kind of your philosophy around it has changed a little bit in the last four, four and a half years. Um, maybe if you can think back to what your approach was then versus what it is now, um, I think would be really helpful to people, especially those who kind of look at where they are now and, and even where they want to be in a few years and, and how that might change for them. Sure. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy to talk about that. So I would say in 2019, I was starting to crystallize already a little bit into the kind of photographer that I wanted to be. And, and really prior to that was my biggest transformation where I was in a phase where I think a lot of photographers are where they want to go to as many epic places as possible and try to create the best singular photo from wherever, Torres del Paine or Pakistan or wh whatever the case may be. You know, they want to go to the most beautiful spots. They want to create this beautiful and rich, diverse portfolio from all of these incredible areas around the world. And I was doing that same thing. I was trying to go see the, the most beautiful places and take those banger wall hanger shots and then I started to get really dissatisfied with that approach because it felt like I was doing a disservice to the landscapes uh, that I was visiting because I was only there for such a short period of time that the only relationship that I could develop in a week or two weeks or, you know, even some days or in some cases just a few days is the most superficial relationship of look how pretty this place is. And when you really want to tell the story of a landscape that's important to you, it's not just about how pretty it is or what it looks like. It's about all the issues that it's facing, all of the details that are below the surface, the, the way that that place interacts with the communities that support it and the way that the, the community uh, interacts with the landscape. Right. And and so I was just getting more dissatisfied with this, what felt like a superficial approach to photography, where all I was saying about the world was, look how pretty it is. And that's fine. That's there's value there. But I think landscapes, right? This is the same problem that people have with magazines like Cosmopolitan and Maxim and FHM, right? It's, it's basically saying the only reason to value a woman is because she looks a certain way. 
It has this certain standard of beauty. And I feel like to a large extent, what we do in the landscape photography world follows that same pathway where we say, Hey, the only reason to value a landscape is because it ha is very beautiful or it subscribes to this uh, idea of what is aesthetic and important within our community. Right. Um, whereas a magazine like national geographic, they get under the heart of all those issues. They show the beauty, but they show all the issues that, that face those landscapes and those ecosystems and those photographers who are shooting those stories they're not there for a week, you know, they go in and they get deep and deep and deep and they talk to the people who really know the place and they get to know the place and they, they do their best to understand it. So, um, that was the transformation that I was starting to go through and that was really starting to crystallize, um, around 2019. And I was finding less satisfaction with that. I want to travel everywhere and more satisfaction with, well, there's a place that I already know very well, Sierra Nevada. Um, and to some extent, Death Valley, and, you know, just say California, generally speaking, that I think is incredible, I think has endless ph photographic potential, I have a very personal, deep relationship with it already. And I'm finding more satisfaction from going deeper within that umbrella, uh, you know, uh, say, hiking deeper into the Sierra, or understanding the ecosystems a bit better, or knowing a little bit more about Death Valley, uh, as opposed to just constantly trying to see new, 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 new. And, uh, and so that's where I'm at now. Um, that has really become clarified, uh, in the last year or so since I moved, I was in mammoth and now I've moved to this little town, Lone Pine, which as you said, is right by the Alabama Hills. And I wake up every day and I look at Mount Whitney, which is the highest mountain in the contiguous U S and it's just breathtakingly beautiful. And I think th like this is the place for me. This is what I want the world to know about. And these are the, these are the issues. I get to see that mountain every day. I see how it changes. I see how the light throughout the year illuminates different aspects of it, or the way that the seasonality affects the photography. I see that the way uh, I see the way that the tourism infrastructure here in Lone Pine creates relationships with the mountain and with the town and with this remote part of California. And with the uh, water in this area, that's another huge issue that we face here. The fact that I'm looking up there and we have a historic amount of water in the Sierra from a 300% almost uh, above average snow year. And that water, when it melts off, it goes to Los Angeles, right? And so living in this area has really helped me become intimately acquainted with that and um, helped me want to tell those stories um, and help people understand this place because it is so important to me. So that's kind of my overall philosophy. Um, and within that, I have noticed that I have three very distinct ways that I like to shoot. And the first one is a very organic where I just, I like to go out, see what's happening, try to respond to it. This is what I call the Zen master style of photography. And this is, I'm not saying that I'm a Zen master, but it's a, it's a practice, you know, it's a practice that I, that I implement, which is basically go out without any expectations, without trying to force a photograph to happen. Just see what the landscape is telling you and see if you can represent that. See if you can bring, uh, you know, your, your vision and your understanding of that landscape, um, and your technical skills, compositional skills to tell that story, whatever, whatever it may be, maybe an epic grand landscape. It may be some tiny little minute 
uh, section of rock where there are four different colors of lichen, right? But if you're really open to it, then you can have this very, very satisfying photographic process, no matter what the conditions are, no matter what your subject is. Uh, so that's one way I like to shoot. The second way is the complete opposite, which is very deterministic, very planned, heavily, heavily uh, analyzed and planned. And that's when I'm shooting moon photos uh, or, you know, I don't think I'd shot that eclipse photo yet. Last time I was on your podcast, mm -hmm. uh, which is probably the photo that I'm now most well known for, even though ironically, it's the least like any of my other work. Um, mm -hmm. But that kind of thing requires so much planning, so much deterministic. I'm going to stand at these GPS coordinates at this focal length at this exact moment. And hopefully everything works out. Um, and that's really fun. It's a different process. It's very satisfying when it does work out. It's disappointing when it doesn't work out. But that's just the nature of how that is. And then something really strange, a third way of doing photography I've noticed is creeping into my repertoire just in the last few months since I opened my photography gallery here in Lone Pine, which is I never paid too much attention in the past to what I thought other people would like in terms of images. But now I'm in a situation where the photos that I select from the to go up on the wall are very, very deliberately chosen because I think other people will like them and I think people will want to buy them, right? And coming from photography from that standpoint, I have created something I've never had before, which is a shot list where it's like, okay, I'm listening to the conversations of people in the gallery and they're saying things like, oh, do you have anything from, you know, Little Lakes Valley when the flowers are blooming? Or do you have any pictures of this spot in the Sierra when blah, blah, blah is happening? And those are places that I never thought of or just didn't have a chance. And now I've got this whole list of things where I go, oh yeah, I really do need a big, highly detailed panorama of the entire Alabama Hills at sunrise. And mm -hmm. that's not something that I ever would have just normally been drawn to shooting. Um, but now, now it's something that crosses my mind all the time is what is a saleable image? And I have uh, more feel a little bit more pressure towards creating those, those sellable images in addition to just doing my own photography. Uh, so that's been really interesting and I haven't decided yet if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's a bad thing because it's just another driver to go out there mm -hmm. and see beautiful things and do photography yeah. and hopefully connect with people, right? In just a second, we're going to get back to our discussion with Josh. But first, I wanted to tell you about the sponsor for today's podcast, and that is Landscape Photography University. If you have ever thought, hey, I wonder how I could get better photos or how do I do this in photography? What lens should I be using here? What's the composition? Landscape Photography University has you covered. Right now, you can go to landscapephotographyuniversity.com and get information on how to take better photos, courses on not only becoming a better photographer with the 10-day landscape photographer course, but also the 30-day photography business course if you ever want to monetize your photography and start your own photography business. All that is at landscapephotographyuniversity.com. Now, let's get back to our talk with Josh Cripps. Now, so, that's a very long-winded <clears throat> answer, but there you have it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's been 
a long four years, I feel like for a lot of people. And and if you look like, you know, at, at the overall pano of your photography and how that's changed and your approach to that, because that's some pretty drastic change. Was there a moment where that kind of shifted that you can pinpoint to, or do you think it was little by little over time? Yeah, there's a very clear moment actually. And when we're talking about that grand transformation, mm-hmm. it was in uh, 2017 where it really popped into my conscious mind. I was in Colombia. I was in a place called the Kokora Valley, which is, it's really beautiful. It's home to the world's tallest palm trees and it's in the tropics. It's got just these unbelievable atmospheric afternoon thunderstorms and every sunrise and every sunset, you know, it's just absolutely stunningly beautiful with the big puffy clouds and all the great colors and all that. And after photographing there for three, four days, um, that's all the time I had on that trip. I just thought, who cares about these images? Like who cares that Josh Cripps photographed the Kokora Valley? You know, these are just another series of, um, I'll say like sort of competent landscape photographs from this area in a sea of competent landscape photographs. And I'm not adding any, I just had this moment. I thought I'm not adding anything at all to the conversation about this place. And what's important here, what's important to the people who live here, what issues are they facing? What issues is the landscape facing? I don't know any of that stuff. And it just felt a little bit silly to only say, hey, look how pretty this is. Look how pretty this is. And um, so that was really a a clear moment when I went, yeah, I think I want to do something with a little more substance than just bounce, 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 bounce across all these pretty places. I think that that's an interesting answer because it really draws me back to a conversation that I just had, um, you know, off camera, off recording or anything with Adam Gibbs. And and we were at the same conference in Utah uh, and we were both talking, you know, about photography, about our life experiences and, I I just kind of brought up like, since I've had, you know, a family, I use photography as my business and and my main source of income. And since having like kids, I was kind of just like, you know, photography is fun, but I definitely don't take it as seriously as I used to, you know, taking pretty pictures of amazing locations. And it kind of was the exact same realization that you had for different reasons, right? I was just like who who cares if i you know am here on this day i'm not you know anybody special for being able to do that anyone can kind of learn how to do this and get there uh, but what's the the deeper purpose for what you're doing and i i think like for you i i'm interested to hear on, on the back side of these questions since you came to that realization how do you think you've changed as a person in the last four years, like detached from photography? Well, I mean, that's a really hard distinction to make. And I think most photographers will have a hard time creating a distinction between who they are as a person and who they are as a photographer, Hmm. because almost everything that I do, you know, is wrapped up in taking pictures. Every hike I go on, every camping trip, it's always, Oh, is there going to be an opportunity to do photography? Um, but I will say that as, as a person, 
I have noticed the the same tendency in all of my relationships that it's less satisfying to have a million okay friends and way more satisfying to have you know that core group of of guys um that that I know really well um and that and that seems to go for pretty much all the relationships in my life you know whether it's romantic or familial or uh platonic uh i just really enjoy creating those those deep relationships um and i've noticed that yeah like even even people that i meet superficially um the nature of our our meetings has changed i i was actually just out hiking last week um and it was supposed to be a solo hike uh i ran into this just some girl on the trail who was who was happened to be in front of me and we were pretty much hiking at the same pace and we just ended up hiking the whole day together and um by the end of that day you know i knew what her hopes and dreams were her values her goals for the future uh the kind of life that she wanted to live the kind of person that she wanted to be and i just think that it's so much more interesting to get it, it to the heart of the matter and understand why things tick instead of just that. Uh, oh, you like hiking too? Oh, that's cool. Oh, what's your favorite color? Oh, that's cool. Oh, you like birds and streams? Cool. Um, so that, that process seems to be just, and I don't know if it's, it's, you know, it's a chicken and the egg situation. They're probably just fueling each other. It's just the same impetus driving both of those changes. Um, but that's a big one that I've noticed. Um, the other thing that I have made a huge effort to change as a person in the last few years is uh, to do less, <laughs> to do less and to uh, care less as well. And that sounds a little bit weird to say to care less. Um, but I used to be really wrapped up in the idea of, you know, um, what impression impression am i making it, both personal personally or in the photography community right it's like the busier i am or the busier i tell people that i am they're gonna think i have some higher status or whatever than i do mm -hmm. um you know or i can at least present that idea oh i'm so busy i've got so much work to do i couldn't possibly go hang out with you um and i don't know i just i looked at my buddy ryan who's a photographer and i really admired him because he he's a wedding photographer when we when we first met and he still shoots weddings but he's really dialed it back and uh he would just shoot you know uh, however many weddings 20 weddings or whatever during a summer and then when he got that last image off to the clients he was out man he went down to baja in his van and he just surfed in baja for five months or whatever and then he'd come back and he'd get the next season going and always, always just like, man, that guy's ability to shut off and disconnect mm. and live his own life separately from pleasing clients and impressing other photographers. I was just really inspired by that. And um, so, I, yeah, I have made a huge effort to just think this was driven a lot by uh, thinking a lot about what what are my values in terms of how do I know that I have been successful as a person, as a photographer, you know, it, when you, when you grow up in the American education system, right? We mm -hmm. all get drilled that same message of success. 
which mm-hmm. is you got to go to college. You got to get that great high paying job. You got to make sure that you get your pension vested. You got to get all your investments, your 401k. You got to buy that house so the wealth can accrue on your property. You know, you just got to constantly build, 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 grow, 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 grow endlessly. And uh, I spent a lot of time thinking about, well, what are the days that make me feel the happiest? What have, what did I do that day? And, you know, invariably, it came down to just a couple of things, right? It's like spending time with family, spending time with friends, being outside, just hiking, camping, existing, whatever, traveling, um, eating good food, you know, um, and so I thought, well, there's never like the, there, there was never a moment when I went, oh yeah, that day that I like my pension vested when I was at Boeing, hell yeah, <laughs> that day was so <laughs> sick. And, and it, so like, don't get me wrong. Cause I know that money, money is certainly gives you the power to do a lot of these other things, to have that time, to be able to travel. Um, money is not unimportant. It's very, very important. Um, but it's not, it shouldn't be the end. It shouldn't be the thing that you're striving to achieve. In my view, you should be, you know, taking that money and using it to give you the life that you want, the lifestyle that Mm. you want. And when I really thought about it, I I thought, you know, the, the thing that makes me feel rich is, or satisfied and successful as a photographer, as a person is when I can say, wow, I have the freedom right now to go spend seven days hiking in the Sierra without freaking out about it because, mm-hmm. oh, how am I going to pay rent or, oh, I have all these clients that I have to please or all of these people I have to impress by appearing to be busy. And um, so the more that I really sat with that and really accepted that, um, that helped me kind of focus on this idea of, just do less, do fewer things, but do them well. And, you know, and it, and it kind of all, it all kind of ties together with the whole change in my approach to photography from trying to see as many beautiful places as possible, this very wide, you know, breadth of activity to just doing a, seeing a few places, you know, and now I would say that my photography really focuses on three places, the Sierra Nevada, Death Valley, and the South Island of New Zealand. And like that is basically probably 95% of the portfolio that I am proudest of that I feel like I really know that place and, and, and I'm a good ambassador for representing what, what is beautiful and important and interesting about it. And it's a whole lot easier to focus on those three things. And so it's been exactly the same. It's just like, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to have 50 different income streams you know, eBooks and this and online courses and we're, and I, I think diversity is important when you are self-employed, don't get me wrong, but I'm not going to do 50 of those things. I'm going to pick the four that I'm doing the best at. This is basically why I don't do YouTube anymore. And, uh, if anybody out there knows me from my YouTube channel, you may have wondered why did it just stop? And I've tried to bring it back and then I just stopped again. And I love doing YouTube but it is incredibly time intensive as any uh, YouTuber will tell you. And for me, the, the return, uh, wasn't quite there. Um, so there were some great indirect returns. You know, I had a lot of people sign up for photo tours and things like that who knew me from YouTube, but in terms of just direct revenue and sponsorships and ads and things like that, I never made it over the hump. 
um, mm -hmm. to really make it worthwhile. And so I just sat there and I said, okay, well, if I get rid of YouTube, that gives me back three days a week, you know, or two mm -hmm. days a week or whatever. And okay, it might cost me X amount in revenue, but is that a trade-off I'm willing to take in order to have those two days a week that I literally just have free time now mm -hmm. to go hike or, you know, do those things that made me feel like my life is a success. Um, mm -hmm. So I guess that would be my answer. Yeah, man, it's just focusing on less and focusing on what's really important to me and, and taking the time to sit with, yeah, what, what are the best days that I've had? What, what are the values that I'm able to measure those days by? And how can I achieve more of that? Uh, yeah. And that's, I, that's and been great. If you look at your two answers to photographer versus person, while they do intermingle quite a bit, those two answers are very parallel of less is more kind of focusing on two things and deeper relationship with place and person. Um, so it's very easily like parallel to one another. And I think it's fair to say, and, and you, you alluded to this too, when you started your answer is that typically who we are as people bleeds over into our values as to what we like to take photos of. And obviously that changes and, and blurs over time as well. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, did, did it for you when you take those days of like really enjoying an experience and feeling free, as you put it, um, did it come down to if I just make like, and, and the reason I'm asking this question is I recently came to a similar conclusion of, you know, when I started, I kind of had like a baseline as to what my goal was to make per month, um, doing a monthly budget for taxes and business purposes. Um, and then the rest of it, I was like, I can use the rest of this to go on trips, travel, spend times outdoors. Do you have that baseline or do you kind of just shoot for whatever? Yeah, I used to have it. Um, mm -hmm. when I first got started because, you know, I was an engineer and I tried to have everything planned out and right. I would look at, okay, these are my costs and this is what I need to make every month. And, and I mean, I still know those numbers, but I don't have it on a spreadsheet or anything like that. It's just now kind of keep it in my head. Uh, and I've been very fortunate. I'm not going to lie about that to be able to uh, have some incredible opportunities in my career that have allowed me to just sort of, as you know, everything you do, there's no silver bullet in what we do, but every little opportunity, every little success that you have is mm -hmm. one more building block. And the more building blocks you have, the easier it is to put more building blocks on top of them. And uh, so I have learned over the years that uh, it's, that's a hard thing to manage because you have these really regular, every month, this is my housing costs. These are my travel costs. This is my food costs. This is my utilities. Boom, 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 boom. But as you well know, in the photography world, income is not regular at all, right? You might have a month where you make five figures and then you might have a month where you make three figures and, um, and just kind of having the faith that it's all going to balance out in the end that 
that was a hard struggle that, I mean, that now I basically don't even think about it. Um, I just have that faith that something's going to come along. Um, now I will say that I, that's changing a little bit because I'm starting to be the master of my own destiny. Whereas, um, you know, maybe seven, eight years ago, it really was waiting for that email to come in. That was like, mm -hmm. Hey, we want you to come do this presentation or, Hey, can you do this shoot for Nikon? Um, and I was building my workshop business at the time, but it wasn't to the level yet where I would guarantee every workshop was going to sell out and we could anticipate this amount of gross profit. No. Um, you know, now with the gallery, that's becoming a little bit easier to do because I can schedule certain classes. I can see if they, people sign up. I, everything is really easily um, calculable uh, to figure that out. Um, but uh, something that helped, and again, I, I, I don't, I'm not trying to like offer universal advice here because this is what worked for me. And I know it's not a realistic scenario for everybody else. Um, but around the same time that I was having all of these thoughts about like doing less and feeling less stressed it was around the end of 20. So I'd been having those thoughts and they really came to a head. I should say at the end of 2021, um, mm -hmm. it ended up being the, the best year financially I'd ever had as a photographer. But when I got to the end of the year, I was so stressed, man. I just, just felt totally burned out. And like, you know, that feeling where you're so busy, you feel like you can't sit down and take a breath. Um, and there you're just, trying to it's like spinning plates you know you just got a infinite spinning plates you're trying to keep up i hate that feeling and um so even though i had done well financially in 2021 i wasn't enjoying the state of mind that getting to that point had required me to uh obtain and then um i saw i was living in mammoth at the time and i was renting this little cabin and uh, the people who owned the cabin, they sold it. And the new owners came in and they said, hey, after the winter, you got to go. You got to move out. And, you know, so Mammoth is a ski town. It's already super expensive. And then during the pandemic, a lot of remote workers from L.A. and from San Francisco realized they could take their very high level urban salaries and buy a property in a place like Mammoth and either rent it out on airbnb or maybe even just live there um so as consequence the home prices that were already elevated skyrocketed and and a lot of the mountain towns uh, had this and i think a lot of resort towns and vacation towns everywhere in the u.s had the same issue all of mm -hmm. a sudden housing prices were astronomical and um so when i had to move out of my little cabin, which I'd been in for five years and I absolutely loved. And I was looking around, you know, I, I couldn't afford to buy anything in Mammoth because now like the cheapest single family home in town, I think was 800 or $900,000. And even a tiny crappy studio condo was over $400,000. And that was, you know, like on top of a, uh, auto repair garage, just yeah. nothing that I wanted to do. And the rentals were, were absurd. The rentals were like L.A. prices, you know. So to stay in the same kind of thing, I had a two-bedroom. To get a two-bedroom apartment in Mammoth uh, around this time, so this would have been early 2022, it would have cost two and a half to three times what I was paying just because of how much prices went up. 
um, during, you know, the five years of me staying in this one little cabin. And I thought, well, I'm already feeling at wit's end from just general frazzledness, uh, from working so hard to earn this level of money, uh, to do what I'm doing. And now I'm my cost of living. If I'm going to stay in this town is going to go up two and a half times. I don't want to have to work that much harder, be that much more frazzled just to stay in the exact same place. And so that's when I started to look at the other towns in the area, Bishop, uh, which is a little bit cheaper, and then Lone Pine. And I've always loved Lone Pine. And any landscape photographer who's ever been to Lone Pine knows why Lone Pine is such an amazing spot. You know, you got Mount Whitney, you got the Alabama Hills, you got Death Valley. It's got so many great things to photograph here. But even though the photography community recognizes this as a world-class destination, mm-hmm. It is a tiny, economically depressed town in the middle of the remote California desert. Uh-huh. And so the cost of living here uh, is much lower. I mean, it's probably, on average, it's probably like three times lower than it is in Mammoth. And so I was able to find an apartment here. And it's really nothing special. It's just a basic apartment. But it's totally fine for me. Um, That was... uh. It was basically a third of what I would have had to pay to stay in Mammoth. Mm -hmm. And making that shift, boy, oh boy, like there's two ways to feel rich in life, man. And one of them is to try to have your, uh, well, the, the way to feel rich in life, in my opinion, is to have your means far outweigh your needs, right? Mm -hmm. And there's two ways to get to that point. One is to work harder and get your means higher and higher and higher and higher. And the other one is keep your means at the same level and reduce your needs. And so for me, you know, doing what I do because I can do it from anywhere, reducing my cost of living by a factor of three meant I could reduce my uh, work, like my general level of busyness and work. Even if I reduced, if I dropped it 50%, um, I was still going to be ahead of the game at least ahead of my old self. Right. And so, and this is a super long, feel free to cut out any of this. Um, but uh, it's all getting cut. It's all, yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, (laughs) but that's where that, what that's, that's what I'm saying. It's like, this is not universal vice. This is not going to work for everybody, but I moved to a town that is very inexpensive and that just allowed me to take a big, deep breath and a huge sigh and say, you know what? I don't have to stress myself out today. I don't have to work 14 hours today. Like, you know, I just did this commercial shoot in January and let's see, I add up the numbers. Cool. That one shoot, basically that's going to cover six months of living costs here in Lone Pine. Like, cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I'm just going to chill. And, um, yeah, that's been that's been awesome. And again, I know I'm in a fortunate position. I don't have a family I have to support. I'm not trying to save for my kids college fund, anything like that. Um, so works for me. Sure, absolutely. And you know, I feel like when you get to that realization and and I I will echo you in saying I'm also fortunate in being the position where you know, while the months do wildly exaggerate and income versus possibly even being in the negative some months it's just you're kind of just like well 
you know, it is what it is. Uh, there's no sense worrying about it. Um, just keep plugging along and something will happen eventually. Um, when it, when it comes to that cost division going down that much in what it costs to live in a place, did that drive your decision to start a gallery or was that idea kind of always in the back of your mind? Well, it's certainly related. I mean, I don't know any photographer, any landscape photographer who doesn't at some point at least harbor some small fantasy of having a gallery. Sure. Right? And so I long thought, how cool would that be? And even when I started photography, it was doing art and wine festivals. So I mm -hmm. had the inventory, uh, you know, those days I was doing a different kind of print than I'm doing now. But I, I knew what it was like to exhibit and I knew how cool it was to interact with people and show your work uh, on a wall. And um, in Mammoth, it's just expensive. It's not yeah. to say you can't do it. You know, there's a great photographer, Nolan Nitschke. He's got a gallery in Mammoth, and he's made it work through the pandemic. Um, so I give all the props in the world to him. Um, but it's, it is. It's very expensive to open a gallery in a resort town, and your financial risk is a lot higher. And I'm super risk-averse kind of person. Um, so I never really wanted to, you know, take out the whatever, the $100,000 business loan to try it. And um, yeah, so moving down to, to Lone Pine, again, like the, commercial, the commercial real estate here is also very cheap, probably a mm. third of the cost of what it is mm. in, in Mammoth, um, if not more. You know, I'm on a main, I'm on main street, like main street location is my gallery. And um, I don't even think you could get like a back room office in mammoth for what i'm paying for this place maybe a um, bathroom like a yeah, spare it, janitor's closet exactly uh you know and there are there are advantages and disadvantages that go along with both of that like you want a destination you want people to come mammoth is a crazy destination right and people come there for that reason to be in the mountains and um Lone Pine is not as much of a destination. It, we know it is in the photography community and it is in the hiker community as well, but that's only for a few months in the summertime. Yeah. Um, so well, I'm going to see kind of how all that works out. Uh, but, but yeah, basically at the end of the day, what made it possible was the fact that uh, it is a lot less expensive, that cost differentiation. But again, David, I am so risk averse that, um, I, before I signed the lease to open this place, I came up with an entire plan that would make, cause, cause I'm not a good salesperson and mm. I'm, that's a skill that I am really, really lack and I'm really working on developing. But in mm. terms of just, you know, a random person coming in the front door and be able to just walk up to them and talk to them and show them all the pieces. And, and then, well, the hardest part for me is you know, asking for the sale, the close. Yeah. I'm, I could talk yeah. to people about the photography all day long, but then when it comes down to saying like, so you want to buy this thing and put it on your wall? Uh, <laughs> I find that part really hard and I'm, I'm still building up uh, the skills in that area. Um, and so I knew that I couldn't rely on that to, yeah. to make the gallery work, especially because like I said, Lone Pine is only a destination for maybe three, four months of the year, Memorial Day to Labor Day, peak summer tourism season. And then it's going to be, it's, it's a ghost town the rest of the year. Uh, there, I mean, there are a lot of businesses here in town that literally put a sign up that says, we will see you in May and mm -hmm. they, they bounce. Um, and so 
what I decided to do is uh, I went through a, a huge brainstorming session about how can I make this space work for itself no matter what. Mm -hmm. And and the real key is what we already mentioned, which is that the Alabama Hills is here, the Eastern Sierra is here, and this is a major destination for photographers. Yeah. And so what what the business is here in my gallery is actually a classroom. Mm -hmm. And so by offering workshops, short classes, presentations, and all kinds of other things yet to be developed out of this space, I can much more deterministically know that um, I can stay here. I can keep the lights on. I can keep the doors open. Then if I sell any prints, cool. That's just gravy. Um, but yeah, it's all, it all came down to figuring out, okay, if I am able to run classes out of this space at this rent and these utility prices, you know, how many, how many students do I have to book at this class rate in order to cover my expenses? And once I kind of figured out those numbers, I ran it past a few people who are super business savvy. And I said, Hey, can you help me poke some holes in this? Um, because it seems like it's going to be reasonably easy to do. Like I'm looking for, I feel like there's some fatal flaw I've missed because it almost seems like it's going to be harder to fail than to succeed with this business model. And, uh, and everybody I talked to said, I mean, we, I don't see any fundamental flaws in this approach. Right. You know, it's just a question of, are you going to be able to fill those classroom spaces? And, um, so I, I, I put together a, a test case which is a moon photography class back in March. And um, yeah, it was a two day class, 12 people and it sold out. And just with that one class, you know, it covered like a quarter of, <laughs> you know, a quarter of my year of overhead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just went, okay, cool. I think this is going to work. And that was really the decision when I went, all right, let's do it. That is it for this episode of the podcast here, but actually this podcast is still playing over in the Insiders Club on Patreon. Insiders Club is a special insiders group just for people who are fans of Landscape Photography University. In the club, you get access to hidden and exclusive videos and audio content like this episode of the podcast, the remaining 20 minutes of it, you can find over at the Insiders Club. To get access to that, it's just $5 a month. You can go to patreon.com slash David Johnston and become a member of the Insiders Club for exclusive videos, exclusive photography conferences. Yes, that's true. And exclusive audio. All that is in the Patreon group Insiders Club. So if you want to join that again, it's patreon.com slash David Johnston to sign up there. Thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode.